Hi Church, good morning. Hola Iglesia, buenos dias. Me llamo Katie Rochelle y me alegro estar con ustedes hoy. My name's Katie Rochelle and I'm one of the pastors here. I'm so glad I get to be with you as we continue in our series called Masterclass. Now, when you want to learn something, you often want to learn it from a master. Like dancing, for example. If you know me, you love how you know how much I love dancing. But I promise you, I was not born with more than an ounce of rhythm. I mean, even if you watch me dance now, the lack of rhythm still shows through once in a while. I needed several masters to break down the steps and guide me through the patterns. And I loved every part of class, but the very best part was once in a while when the teacher would go around and dance the pattern with you. And I can't even explain it to you. It felt always like I was floating. All of a sudden they could guide me through patterns I hadn't even learned yet. Whenever I got to dance with a master, I took huge strides in my dancing skills. In this series, we haven't been learning to dance from a master of ballroom dance or learning from a master chef. We've been learning how to live from our master, Christ. And we're doing this series because we know that a part of Jesus's whole invitation to us is to get yoked up with him. Ethan told me to put my head through this, but I'm just gonna set it here. A yoke is a way to help train a younger animal by having it follow along with an older and more experienced one. The yoke keeps both animals together and the experienced one can then set the pace and the direction in which both animals go. So when Jesus invites us to yoke up our lives with his, he's really saying two things. One, he's offering to go through life right next to us. And he's saying he wants to guide us. He wants to show us the steps. Jesus tells us he's a gentle and a humble teacher. So when we pull forward too fast, he helps us to slow down. When we want to stop or to stray, he pulls us forward gently and keeps us on the right path. This week, we're gonna look into what it could mean to be yoked up with Jesus when we're sad. We're gonna look into what Jesus can teach us about how to mourn. And you might wanna tune out right now. Really, Katie, why do we have to bring down 2020 any further? It's been a complicated year already. Can't we talk about something a little lighter? Well, you're right, but stick with me for just a few minutes because the reality is, is that this year has given us plenty to be sad about. And if you're like me, some days that gets a bit heavy. I really wouldn't mind if Jesus could teach me a little bit about how to handle it all, you know? Like if one of the side benefits of getting yoked up with Jesus was guidance as I walked through a season of sadness, well, that wouldn't be so bad. And the good news is, is that the Bible has so much to say about mourning. It has things to say to those who are sad and even about how to be sad. Being yoked up with Jesus really can help us to find a way to face sadness, but differently. And as we thought about this sermon, the preaching team started to ask, what makes us sad? What causes us to need to mourn? Well, I've noticed that sadness is often a response to loss. When we lose something, whether it's a game or a stuffed animal, a job that we were relying on or our former health, we experience sadness. We can even experience sadness when we lose something we never had. Dreams of a family or a certain job we just hoped for. It can feel just as painful to lose. 
But this sadness, this grief, it names and honors what we have lost, and it's so normal. I remember when I was really little and my family moved from Delaware to Georgia. I lost my favorite neighborhood friends when we moved and my very special blanket disappeared too. Losing the friends was painful, but obviously most tragic was not having my blanket to cuddle in my grief. I remember being flopped dramatically over my bed for the first few weeks at home, just wishing I could have it all back. Now that I'm older, I've had whole years where sadness was a part of that year. Of course, it wasn't like I woke up sad every day. I had plenty of days full of laughter with my friends. I ate tons of Rocky Road ice cream and I spent most evenings enjoying the sun setting from my little porch. But sadness was kind of woven into that year because I was losing someone and it was really tough. I don't know how I could have made it through then without being yoked up to Jesus. I think I might have just stopped. And many of us have felt lost recently with how our world has changed. Maybe it's travel plans or day-to-day -day rhythms or how you even do your job. Everything is totally shaken up. We've had to replace our vision of how the past few weeks and months were supposed to turn out with something completely different. I mean, I talked to my mom just this last week and she's this amazing kindergarten teacher. Her classroom has all these great books and cool experiments and there's even an indoor garden and all the plants grow up this cool tower thing. But she's a little sad because her favorite part of the new year is when the room fills up with all these cute, curious kids. But this year, with new structures in place, school just feels different. Maybe you're also grieving something like that. But no matter what we grieve, sadness can be strange. Most of us make it even harder on ourselves because we try to hide it. We do this to ourselves all of the time. Especially as Christians, we can cut ourselves off from the real experience that we're having. Some of us even feel obligated to pretend we're not sad, thinking, well, I should only focus on the positives and there's so much to be grateful for. But while there's so much to be grateful for, I don't actually think this is a biblical vision. Our grief isn't embarrassing or wrong. It doesn't have to be avoided or hurried past. And as we dig into scripture, we find God makes room for sadness. Before we can be open to what Jesus can teach us about how to mourn, we have to be okay, know that he's okay with our mourning. In fact, God actually honors our grief. God blesses it and God grieves with us. Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Blessed. Jesus doesn't say, Katie, why are you so sad today? Or isn't it about time you've gotten over this? No, Jesus just says you are blessed and you will be comforted. Jesus doesn't want us to avoid our sadness. Rather, he tells us we don't have to hide it. We can even share it. We can let ourselves feel sadness when we need to because we know God plans to comfort us. And if you're realizing you need a place right now to share and find comfort in the midst of loss or grief in your own life, we want you to know that FCC has several groups focused on being spaces for exactly that. We have care and recovery groups, as well as grief share groups for those who've lost a loved one. 
You can find out more information online or reach out right now to a chat host to help you get connected to the right place. If we could trust that this is what God wants, God wants to comfort and bless us when we're sad, it opens up so many possibilities. We can make space to explore our sadness and know God plans to use it somehow in our spiritual lives. We can stop judging ourselves for it. We don't have to fight our way through it. We can know that while not everything gets fixed immediately, God blesses those who mourn. So when we decide to get yoked up with Jesus, like we've been talking about, not only does he walk each step of our grief alongside of us, right next to us, he's also guiding us when we're too weary to even look up and see what's ahead. Sometimes in grief, I know that we can barely think or feel or even notice what's right in front of us. But if we let Jesus guide us, he can keep his eyes up, looking at the way ahead. Over time, we might even learn from him how to look up once in a while too. And the more I read scripture, the more I realize this knowledge of what could be ahead is one thing Jesus teaches us about how to mourn. Jesus teaches us to be sad, to mourn like we're in the middle of a story, but we know what the ending is. Jesus approaches sadness as if we're in the sad part of a really happy story or in the scary part of a grand adventure, but it's one where we already know everything's gonna work out. When I read scripture well again and again, I realize Jesus teaches us to mourn like we know up ahead, the ending to our story is a happy one. I loved stories growing up and I still do. They're full of action and the hero or the heroine is always learning about themselves, making friends, finding the good in the world and facing the evil. And in my favorite stories, even when things get a bit uncertain along the journey, well, in the end, the character I've grown to love, well, they prevail. They conquer the dragon or win the race and the book ends in victory. But we all know that this victory is rarely certain in the middle. In the middle, the heroine can still barely pick up her sword and there's no way she's going to conquer the dragon yet. In the middle, sickness, or the wrong set of circumstances mean the athlete might never make it back onto the track again. In the middle, sometimes things can start to look pretty bleak. And if the book were cut off right there, if the sickness were final, if the hero's friend stayed mad at her and never taught her how to use her sword, those stories would feel pretty hopeless. I don't know if I would want to keep reading. I mean, what if in The Lion King, Simba left his home and then just never came back? What if he never returned and Scar took over and that was the end? Ugh, one of my favorite movies would be a huge bummer. But while our stories are much more complicated than our favorite fictional characters, we share plenty in common. Our lives are filled with chapters where we learn, where we make our friends and encounter good, but our lives also hold chapters of sadness, chapters with trials and loss. And once in a while, we really do find ourselves in the midst of these pages where our sadness and our grief seem like they get to write the script. Maybe it's just a page or two of sadness, but maybe it's the whole chapter. It could be that a move to a new place without your blanket has you feeling down or it could be something bigger. Maybe these pages are filled suddenly with doctor's appointments and a scary new diagnosis that means 
You've lost some of your former health. It feels like you just keep turning pages and keep seeing more appointments ahead. Sometimes it can get so sad that we start to worry, perhaps we're in the middle of a story that nobody wants to finish. We start to worry that this chapter, the sad one, might be the final one. Somehow we look up and our lives are telling a tale we wish we'd never heard and we don't know that it could end well. But when you're stuck in a chapter like that, Jesus wants to come alongside you and be a guide. He wants to show us how to mourn like we are in the middle and not the end of a story. Jesus helps us to wait for the next page, to trust there is another chapter coming. And to know that even in this chapter of sadness, there will still be blessings. Jesus teaches us to mourn like we're in the middle of a story, but we know the ending. When we face sadness, we face it knowing that while this page, this chapter isn't easy, it's just not the last one. While on this page, our hearts are broken and our fear is louder than anything and our body aches alongside of us, Jesus reminds us that the ending has been written. No matter what gets written in this chapter, the final chapter is already set in stone. And my guess is that some of us know and some of us don't, but God tells us the story's ending. We find in so many places in scripture glimpses of this ending, and one place in particular is in Revelation 21. John writes about a vision given to him by God saying, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. He will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. We're a people who've been promised an end to the story. The story ends with God making everything new. We mourn as people who know that one day God will dwell among us and be there to wipe every tear from our eyes. And for me, knowing that this ending is a joyful one makes a huge difference. Because when we find ourselves in pages of our story where we want to flip to the end and double check before we bother to keep reading, when we lose someone, we don't want to imagine our lives without. We're reminded that this present sadness will not endure forever. We don't have to rush right now to make the story happy or pretend like the chapter we find ourselves in is an easy one because, well, some of us are not in an easy chapter but God has let us in on the ending. It's going to be more than okay. With Jesus at our side, we can make it through incredibly tough pages. We can trust that the story is worth reading and that in these tough chapters, Jesus has chosen to both bless us and comfort us. While I don't wish sadness on any of us, I can say Jesus really will draw blessings out of our grief. 
I find, I think more deeply for every loss I've suffered. I am more compassionate and kind, and my view on life has slowly and surely become more nuanced, more solid and more whole. Three years ago, my dad was diagnosed with cancer. It was aggressive and for the type that he had, doctors had plenty of treatments, but just no cure. For two years, our family visited doctors and made hard choices and lived through pages that flipped between great days and really, really sad ones. And I don't know that I could have made it through without Jesus's help teaching me how to mourn. Most days, it just looked like Jesus walked alongside me and listened to me share about my loss. And I felt so many losses. I felt the loss of not getting to have more time, the loss of all I'd hoped to share with my dad, of all I wished he could see. Following Jesus did not make my sadness and the weight of it any less sad. But following Jesus did make my sadness different. I can tell you countless stories of ways in which God chose to bless our family's sadness, and I can point to thousands of moments when unexpected comfort came to us in a visit from a pastor or a friend or in laughter at something ridiculous that my dad had just said. God gave us just enough strength to face it one day at a time. And even though we didn't get to see a miraculous healing, the number of small, beautiful things healed in myself and in my family marked the ways Jesus was already at work, reminding us, reminding us of his promise that this chapter just wasn't the last. In the middle of this season of learning how to mourn a big loss, I read a book by a guy named Tong Wong. It was actually a book on Christian funerals. And in the book, he talks about how the earliest Christians had to come up with their own ceremonies because it was brand new. They borrowed some from their Jewish background and some of the ceremony reflected how the Greeks and the Romans around them did funerals. But what was unique to the Christians was that when they had finished all the preparations, when they had mourned, and sat with the body right at the end of all of that, when it was time to carry the person they had lost to their resting place, the Christians would walk them there singing. They sang to accompany the person they loved one last time as they walked them to the grave. And they sang because they knew this was only the middle of the story. They sang songs of resurrection and hope and life, looking up, looking ahead because they knew the end promised to them. And at my dad's funeral, we sang too. It was patchy at best because there weren't enough lyrics sheets to go around. And as a bit of a motley crew, I'm not really sure everyone singing was sure they trusted all of the promises. But even with everyone sharing lyrics and not knowing the words and being slightly off tune, I still remember how holy that space felt. How full of God's power and promise right there mixed in with some of the biggest loss I've ever felt in my life. It was sadness, but different. So different, in fact, that the funeral director, the guy who does this for a living, came up to our pastor afterwards and said he'd never seen a funeral as moving or as beautiful as this one in his whole career. That this funeral had helped him feel comfort from the loss of his own dad not long before. Just like us, he'd found himself in a sad chapter. And really, here we are, all of us, in the middle of the story. Maybe for you, this chapter is an awesome one and you're loving it, but you can probably remember a previous chapter that still aches once in a while. 
Or maybe you've just flipped the page and been taken off guard completely by a loss you didn't see coming. You're wishing you could flip forward a few pages and make sure everything turns out all right. Since we're in the middle of the story, sometimes things are really happy, but sometimes they're sad. Sometimes we have to carry things that are very, very important to us to a resting place. But here's what we know. The sad story has a happy ending. We know that the ending of this story has already been promised to us. God is making everything new. There will be no more death, no more mourning or crying or pain. Jesus tells us he's preparing a room for us in his father's house. Isaiah says, we will rejoice forever. We can face the sad parts of our story and say goodbye to things we deeply love without trying to rewrite this chapter because we know this chapter doesn't change the ending. In fact, we can trust that in this chapter, Jesus might want to be at work in surprising ways, comforting us and blessing us. That's it in the end, I think. It's not that when we get yoked up to Jesus, all of a sudden we stop feeling sad when we lose something. No, sadness is important. Rather, we're just sad differently. We can allow our sadness space to take its full course because we know no matter what, it doesn't write the last chapter. We are sad, hopefully, expectantly, looking for God now and looking forward, trusting that the end is yet to come. If we are yoked up with Jesus, when it comes time for us to let go, to walk a dream or a relationship, our own health or a person we deeply love, to a resting place, the difference is we know that we can sing. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you for your son, Jesus, and for his invitation to yoke up our entire lives with his. I thank you for how gentle he is and how humble when he guides us. God, I pray right now, especially for people who are on sad pages in their story or sad chapters. I pray that they know you give them as much space as they need to be sad and to mourn, and that in that, you are at work to bless it and to comfort it. God, I thank you for the reminder and the promise that the ending is written. We pray all of this in your name, and we are just so grateful to you. We love you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.